We take a single episode of a science fiction TV series and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. This is the Fusion Patrol Podcast. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to an episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Ben. And tonight we are looking at the Blake 7 episode, Assassins. Villa intercepts a message from a familiar voice. Servalan, a.k.a. Commissioner Sleer. The message is a date and a place. And the recipient's codename gives Avon pause. It is Cancer, an infallible assassin. The object of the hit? Five subjects. The same number as people on the Scorpio. Coincidence? Avon doesn't believe in them. Orax suggests, with a date and a place, they get there first and eliminate the threat. On the planet Domo, Avon gets himself captured by pirate slavers. When he goes up for auction, he is purchased by Sleer. He escapes with the help of a slave named Nebrox, who also supplies him with valuable information. Sleer arrived the day before, purchased an entertainer as a slave, and dropped it off at Cancer's ship, which then left the planet. They pursue the ship and get the drop on their quarry, an imposing, arrogant man who promises to kill them all. They also rescue Piri, a feeble-minded half-wit of a girl who takes a shine to Tarrant. As I said, a feeble-minded half-wit. The man escapes. Nebrox is murdered. Avon plans to secure the flight deck and stay safe, but Tarrant wants to go hunt him. Avon and Tarrant nearly come to blows. Then the life support system goes out and the decision is taken from them. They must find cancer. A game of cat and mouse ensues, but fortunately, Sulin thinks best on her butt because after a nice sit-down and think, she realizes that Piri is cancer and the man is the entertainer. Too late does Avon realize it because he's been captured and reveals that the entire thing, including the message that lured them to Domo, was Sleer's cunning plan to destroy them all. But Sulin, ace gunslinger and killer, accidentally kills Cancer and at the last possible moment, Avon and the others escape. However, Sleer thinks they're dead. So I just want to say something about this episode before we... Before we get too deep into it, my recollection of this was that it was one of the worst episodes of series four, the the worst series of Blake seven. And Uh as I watched it, actually, considering the dreck we've been watching for the last few episodes, I kind of quite liked it. (laughs) Well, it really as awful as the last few. (laughs) I would say... I had a slightly different reaction than you. Um, yes, it is not as, oh my God, this is a piece of garbage that we've been forced to endure from this last you know few episodes of Blake 7. Instead, I simply found it boring. It was a touch on the lengthy sort of rambling on side, but... I- yeah, I'm not going to defend it. I'm not going to defend this as a great episode. I am. Oh God, say no! That, you know, we. But I didn't a, hate it. We have a few things back here that we haven't had in a while. Sleer, aka Serverland, right. being very 
dangerously clever. She came up with a plan, executed them. Oh, there's a couple of little problems with the plan. But, you know, there have been a couple of problems with her brilliant plans along the way in the past. True. That, that we could that we get on. Like, for example, if if they were listening in in every room with microphones, then there are some things, and I can't remember them off the top of my head, but they're probably in my notes, that they should have done differently. Mm. <laughs> but, you know, by and large uh, – it wasn't. It wasn't the space rats. No, and um, it it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't another example of Ben Steed having his uh, masculinity flipped out on the table and plunked down for everyone to see. It wasn't. Mm. You know, it, it was. Um, it was a, a mediocre. Yeah. Episode. And and the when yeah that and the best out. <laughs> the best part. The best part of it was Servalin. Right. There's no question about it. I even have that very thing in my notes. I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, I and I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna quote it. Um, I said the only other thing that is worth noting is how clever Servline is at outwitting Avon and company. She's always had the upper hand in the smarts. Uh, whenever she fails, uh, largely it's due to bad luck, which unfortunately makes the hero's victory very hollow. Yes, the hero's victory in this one is very hollow too. Um, but because. It's luck. It's pure luck. I mean, they run into the room. Sulin should have shot her dead. Yeah. I mean, the only thing that the that uh, is not so much luck is at least Sulin being able to deduce the truth behind this charade that's going on. Except, but other than that. Except that scene. Oh. All well, I could think of was, and I kid you not, I thought of Winnie the Pooh. I'm going to have a sit down and I'm going to think. Hmm. Think, 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 think. Because her, her, the direction that, that poor Su Lin was given here is like running around and stop. She says, no, I'm going to, let's think about this. And she thinks for a while. And then after she's been sitting down thinking for a while, she changes her position and think, gets down on the floor to think some even more. I swear she looks like she's about to take a nap. I mean, they're they're dangerously being chased by what they think is the greatest assassin in the universe, and she's sitting down on the floor, having a think, having a leisurely think. This is yeah, know, did, that was weird. That was terrible direction, and uh, yeah, but but she got stuff to do, and there were mm. some decent uh, lines in the episode. Um, I particularly like uh, Sleer telling Ava and I, I prefer my slaves to call me mistress when she had purchased him in the auction. Um, you know, I think she, well, here's a question. She purchased Avon, which was not yes. part of her plan. Not originally, no. Well, you know, it wasn't part of her plan. Her plan was to lure them there and to get them into this trick trap with a thing and a cancer and whatnot. So this was just like a happy circumstance that Avon's plan that, coincided with getting him an auction and she was there so she bids for him and she wins him now what would have happened if he hadn't escaped would she have just killed him you know i think she she might have only because she knows how dangerous he is but not i i don't think not after having or at least trying to have some fun there's <laughs> another line i love in this is where sulin slaps that annoying woman Oh, uh, Perry, and, Perry. And, and Terrence all because Terrence being completely. Uh, uh, oh, the the, a, the a jerk. Je 
Oh, this this is his worst episode yet. But but her line, it's like there's only two ways to deal classical ways to deal with a hysterical woman. You weren't suggesting that I kiss her, were you? Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, somebody's actually getting given them some lines today that that kind of are amusing, which brings me to Rod Beecham. Yes. The only episode he ever wrote, and he's more known as an actor instead of a writer. That's right. Corporal Lane in Web of Fear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Which I've never it, seen. Oh, you've never seen? No. Never seen it. I've very seen much it. liked to, but I have never seen it. Why, why did you not get it when it came out? Long story. Tell uh, you later. Hey, right. <laughs> it's like, well. well very come, long story. We'll tell you about another disc. time. I've got it right here. <laughs> oh, burn it for me. Send it my way. <laughs> well, we do not condone piracy or illegal transmission of uh, DVDs over the airways. Oh, of course, not. Of I course mean, not. I mean, I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, otherwise, I'd be watching Blake Seven all the time. Mm. And uh, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he, he was uh, not that that was a huge part by any stretch of the imagination. I I searched up images, and um, you know, I kind of. There were two or three guys that were working in the radio room, and he was one of them, and I'm not sure that I, you know, he wasn't one of the major ones. So, but yeah, apparently, no, apparently in his later years, he did go off and write some stuff, including some little, satirical yeah. science fiction stuff and uh, and some other Like things. this. <laughs> well, no, there's, I, apparently there's something else. I would call this satirical. Was, uh, uh, some sort of a, a satire of America that he wrote. Um I didn't delve deep, too deeply into it. I'm like, yeah, he did one episode of Blake 7. And once again, we get to tick off another writer. This is the last episode of Blake 7 by Rod Beecham. That's uh, the only episode by Rod Beecham. It hardly counts. Um, all right. Let's see. What have we got? Uh, Richard Herndl? Yes. The first doctor. Uh, sort of. He he revisited the role. Well, not revisited, but took over the role for uh, the five doctors over from William Hartnell. The second first doctor, I guess we could call him, uh, or the the third, if you want to include Peter Cushing. I've always wondered if he's considered to be the first doctor, or just an amalgamation. Doctor, yeah, just another doctor. He's he's just another doctor because he caught well, yeah. That, oh, that, that's a sidecar story. Oh yeah, that, I mean that, that that's a completely different story. So yeah, I would say what, uh, Richard Herndl is the the second first Doctor. So now here's the thing, Doctor One Point One. Now this this is this is the part that gets me. 1983 mm-hmm. was the 20th anniversary. Five of Doctor Who, right? Yes. Richard Herndl appears in this episode wearing his William Hartnell hair. Yes. I noticed that, Two too. Two full years before the Five Doctors. Are we supposed to believe that that's actually his hairstyle? Well, or is that a wig to that? Well, I'm, you know, here's what I kind of think. I kind of wonder if maybe they thought, well, you know, he's this, this guy's been a slave. His hair has gotten a little bit long. Let's put it on. And then uh, at some point later, JNT took one look and went, oh, hey, now, I've got an idea. Especially since Terrence Dix had written a, a part for the First Doctor. Thought, hey, you know, I think we've got something here. That's my that's my guess. It's possible that that he saw him and thought, wow, he reminds me of the first Doctor. Or because I've, I well, I've actually seen uh, photos of uh, Richard Herndl, and his that's not his real hair. It's normally a lot shorter, very you know, average length. 
for for a man, I, I guess you could say. But it, no, it's normally not shoulder length like that. Well, I have seen Richard Herndl in some shows uh, over the years, and uh, you know he's he's had different hair styles. Let's put it that way. Well, this but would right, this is just. This is just a regular uh, shot. I mean, not even a publicity shot. This this was just you know, it was like a, a model headshot, you know, that an agent might shop around. And he he had very close cropped hair. So I'm thinking this was a wig, and they thought, ooh, you know, we might be able to use this for Doctor Who. I, yeah, I I'm. It seems it seems so. It's not even that, or he has got the greatest foresight anybody could ever hope for. That that is that is like it's not even. A yeah, that's kind of similar to the hair he had in the Five Doctors. It's got to be the same wig. It looks like it, doesn't it? It really does. Uh huh. So, uh, yeah, yeah. I would love to know how he got cast as um, as the replacement first Doctor. I really would. I guess that's a story that someone uh, who listens to the podcast will find and send to us because that'd be awesome. Well, there's got to be a story out there somewhere. There must be. There must be. It's probably in Wikipedia, but <laughs> I haven't looked there yet. <laughs> oh, yes. The yes, the fountain of all truth. Of all knowledge, anyway. Well, yeah. Whether it's true or not is a different story. Truth and knowledge may not be the same things. I believe nope. that's a... I believe that might be a Buddhist philosophy, but I'm I'm not 100% sure on that. Um, anyhow, let's see. What have we got on this episode that is worth noting? Orac's a bit bloodthirsty, isn't he? Tiny bit. Um, Tiny bit. I mean, he basically suggests that they go kill a guy. Yeah, he's – yeah, that's pretty much it. You know, but uh, Orac is – he can be highly pragmatic too. I mean, I don't think he really holds – uh, life you know, with any kind of sacred view. Well, obviously no, because he's blown up system ships and things like that. So, I mean, he, he's got the capability to do it. It's just, again, we are talking about a writer who's never written an episode of Blake 7 before or after, uh, and he's going by, I don't know what, but it, it did seem a little bit, you know, typically Orac would say, well, I think you should think about this and do something. <laughs> Instead of, you know, or he would say, the course of action is obvious. But if you aren't going to figure it out on your own, I'm not going to help you. That I can see. but That's him, normal. That's normal. But for him to kind of come out and say, well, you've got the date and time. Why don't you go solve the problem? Hint, hint. Well, wink, uh, wink, yeah, nudge. It's, it's another indicator of someone who really doesn't know what he's writing. I, I don't want to not to defend Mr. Beecham. But since Orac is never written consistently from episode to episode either, just like Tarrant, um, it's eh, – I mean, this could be the Orac that blew up the system, right? This is the version that says, you know, if I didn't do that and blow up their ships, then my prediction wouldn't come through. I mean, he destroyed their entire civilization so that his prediction would come true, which now makes, true. Me, which now makes me wonder, did he incorrectly predict – that the system ship would be destroyed. And then he manipulated the events so that it would come true. We've talked about did, this. I don't remember if we did or not. We've had this conversation. And we kind, we're kind of you know, there. We didn't decide one way or the other, but we certainly left that open uh, to suggest that maybe that is something that, that Auric did. Um, but yeah, we've, we've talked about that. 
Uh, so we have uh, we have him being a little bit bloodthirsty. Bloodthirsty. Excuse me. Yeah. So we have uh, Orak being a little bit bloodthirsty in this episode, atypically. So I suppose. Now, what was Avon's plan? <sighs> well, the only thing that was kind of being inferred is that they were going to try and beat cancer to the punch so how did being captured and made a slave facilitate that well i i don't know i you know it's like he intentionally obviously did that um got captured knowing that these people were slavers therefore presumably they're going to take him to their base i i kind of get that part and assume he assumes that his big clunky bracelet that pops off at the most inopportune moments <laughs> you know the Scorpio teleport bracelets don't come apart no they seem to be more of like a, a watch band that has that kind of fold over clasp to tighten them down I've I've always thought that the um, I hate to use the word props I mean but, but they are props but the equipment that was par- uh, with Liberator seemed to be of a much better quality than the garbage we're seeing with Scorpio. Well, I mean, Scorpio is supposed to be a poor it's ship. It's a junker but, ship. But, but I mean, so the bracelet itself is not... The Liberator bracelets were just kind of... You peeled them back and slapped them on like they were a, basically a toilet paper tube roll, which I think they were, uh, <laughs> or something like that. So... There's no clasp. It's not being held in place, really. No, no. It's a friction but I, hold. But, and but and I, Liberator, I, the Scorpio bracelets appear to be, you know, it should be a better design for not coming off in a fight or a tussle. And yet, still they do. Because they don't, in other words, they have to go over your hand to come yeah. off completely. As opposed to the Liberator ones, which could have just been knocked off and fly away from you. So, I... I I hate the fact that they're still using that plot device too. Mm, yeah. Well, uh, my the, the only reason I brought that up, and and I realize this is uh, a, an irrelevant point to the story, but this is something that I, every time I see this uh, in these the, the, these series of episodes, I just go nuts. And the thing that's really bugging me right now um, are the hand weapons. <laughs> Be- oh, those I hate those. Uh, especially when they need to holster them. Oh, the noise they make? Well, it's not just the noise they make, but the effort it takes to put the bloody thing in there. I mean, it was really kind of easy to take, you know, that that wand disruptor that they had on Liberator and just slide it right in there. That's really great. This thing, I mean, it looks like that the gun is like, you know, half a size too big for the holster itself. And they've got to kind of, and it makes a lot of loud noise and they have to really push it in there. And if you don't have it angled just right, it's not going to go. And so, you know, there's like an additional 10 seconds where they have to fight with it in order to get it in there. And next thing I know is like, you know, I just missed anything you were saying, you the character being Dana, Sulin, I don't know, but obviously there was a whole line of dialogue that I just missed because I was too busy looking at you trying to holster that stupid gun. I, <clears throat> yeah, I have my problems with those guns. I, I think, obviously, they had the really cool guns on the Liberator that were 
uber powerful. And then these are supposed to be some awesome weapons with the multi-packs. But frankly, that sounds to me like, you know, you've got a very limited number of shots like you would in a real gun. So that's a downside for an energy weapon right there. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, they they're they kind of look good. Uh, you know, they they at least look like guns. They remind me a little bit of a modified Space 1999 laser weapon if they didn't have the front on them. But I Okay, are they made of metal? The props. Uh, well, I'm going to go so well they sound like it. Yeah, is is that is that foley that's been added in after the fact? Or I don't is think that so. Actually, wild sound. I think I think that set? I think that's that's real sound because it has a certain ambience to it. Uh, when you hear it, it 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 sort of sounds like it it it, it sounds like source, like especially the way it's mixed in. You know, actually, it actually doesn't sound like it's mixed in at all. It just comes in really, really clearly. It's same thing with uh, the Liberator weapons. I mean, now those are made out of a molded plastic. And they had a different so you sound could, going in, yeah. Totally different sound. Uh, one that didn't rattle my teeth. This one does. It, it's, it's a very irritating sound. Um, it, to quote Monty Python, it sounds real tinny. Tinny. Uh, Horrible tinny. Tinny. Uh, tinny. 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 Uh, uh, you know, but, but the you – know, Oh. Yes, but <laughs> but the the, the the liberator weapons had sort of a woody sound, you know. You know what I mean? Yes. Uh, but it, but again, I mean, we're talking BBC here. For them to do a lot of heavy foley work like that, um, I kind of, of, of am of the impression that if they didn't have to, they wouldn't. Yeah, I think they may be made, uh, actually made of metal. And and look at the way they have to fight to get those things in. I mean, it really and and also you can every so often you can get a really good look at it. Now, granted, I mean, I've I've been on sound stages and I've seen props that on television look like oh my god, what well, you know, excellent craftsmanship. And then you see the thing in real life and you're like okay, you know, somebody carved that. Mm-hmm. You know, be, you know, and, and you know, some kid who. You know, he had leftover wood after making his his uh, his car for the Pinewood Derby, and he made this. You know, yeah. so it's it's amazing how things really can look different on television. But we're talking video. These mm-hmm. I mean, these props were filmed. I mean, th- th- this isn't on film. This is this is done on video. So there's a certain different kind of clarity to the picture, and it it looks pretty clear to me that that's that's some kind of metal. You know, maybe not. Really, super industrial strength. You know, I'm, I'm sure that with anybody with any kind of elbow grease could just bend the crap out of that. But uh, metal, nonetheless. In fact, I'm pretty sure the prop master probably does have to bend it up. You know, bend it back into shape after an, you know any kind of abuse it may receive during an episode filming. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They're um, interesting props, and it they don't. Well, <laughs> well, Sue Lin can get hers out of that house to pretty fast. I've seen her. I, she actually can put it back in pretty well too. Yes, everybody else seems to be having a problem. Yeah, well, uh, she's the professional gunfighter. Well, that's true too. Also, the fact that they've, you know, I'm, I'm sure everybody else is so used to the nice molded plastic thing that they had with Liberator. It's like, what the heck is this? <laughs> you know, as they fight be. with it. It could be. Well, the the the, <laughs> the nice molded plastic was basically a funnel. Well, yeah, it easily I mean, fit right the, in. The holster that you put it in was basically a funnel, so you got a pointy bit that goes down and then lines the whole thing up, and it just goes right. <laughs> oh, I know, it's perfect. Yeah. You know, but so. it's very easy. It's just, you know, and of course, uh, interesting how this is a much more interesting conversation than the episode itself. <laughs> 
I was thinking that myself. It's like, what else can we talk about? Uh, no. <laughs> well, we can talk about Barbara Bain. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, we're not allowed to do that unless she turns up in an episode of Blake 7. God, I can only hope. Oh, I need her to. I, I, need her, I need her to show up in an episode of Blake 7. It'll, make, it'll give me something to talk about. Well, just tune in for our Mission Impossible podcast coming in by the time we get there in 2043, I think. Uh, <laughs> well, that's pre-Botox. It is, but I'm sure we can find something. No, <laughs> we love Barbara Bain. We love Barbara Bain. We, we really, really do. do. She probably is listening to our Blake 7 episode. And she's, and she, you she, she's not listening to the episode. ones because they are so mean to me, but I like the Blake 7 ones. Yeah, so, just, just get over the freaking episode. What? Barbara? Sorry, I can't understand you. Okay. Cancer. The infallible assassin. Oh, Let's please. Let's talk about the infallible assassin who likes to toy with her victims. That is a horrible character flaw for starters that's yeah and you know a, a really skilled assassin would not be playing with their victims like a cat no. does with its prey no they although, would kill although serverlin may have paid for that service i doubt it i really doubt it i I'm, I'm just throwing that out there because that's the only way i can think of that a truly professional assassin is oh i i give you they're being I will, paid I've, a lot of money to play with them I'll, actually, I will give you a very, very good reason. Beecham is a crappy writer. <clears throat> well, it is a bit of a cliche. Bad writer for this episode. Bad writer for this show, I should say. Uh, and again, does not know what he's writing. Um, also, cancer. Code name for an assassin. Printed on the ship. Now I'm wondering, was it printed on the side of the ship so that our intrepid heroes would go, hey, there's a crab on the side of that ship. That must be cancer ship, because that does not seem like the kind of thing an assassin would want to advertise. Um, it is a bit of a giveaway, isn't it? It, it? it is a bit of a giveaway. And and then to have this infallible assassin have as her infallible assassin weapon be a brooch that transforms into some sort of a living plastic creature injects poison in someone and then transforms back into a brooch is pretty all right i'll go with this one that's a stupid plot device mm, yeah i agree i thought it was lame and well how did she get her brooch back um good question we never saw because it looked like when it failed to get sulin in the cargo hold or or wherever she was having her sit down think about um it looked like when it failed it kind of reared back on its back legs and died maybe she's got a way of picking it up there's just a, a very specific way of picking it up so that she can then attach it to her you know, you know uh, put, okay. turn it back to a brooch without it biting her i i could go with that i'm but i would be thinking more in terms of does that mean she had time to go down to the cargo bay where sulin was I would because have to say there's, there's got to be some kind of signal that like would make it come back. It. It I know. Like she left it and, and, you know, go kill Sulin, and then she went off to capture Avon. So it, it seems like she was, you know, and in fact, she later on, she said, well, that bitch should be dead, which, by the way, two bitches in this episode, and which is highly unusual. For oh, is Tarrant the other one? 
<laughs> no, um, uh, the the fake cancer called Piri, a ah. bitch. I'm going to kill that bitch, or you tell that bitch I'm going to kill her. And then uh, Piri later called Sulin a bitch because, you know, cat fight. And because that's... Mm. Because that's what everybody wants to see. Because they're both jealous. And... and <clears throat> okay, so there was a, a kind of... Uh, Sulin didn't like her, but who would like her? Oh, sorry, Tarrant would, um, apparently. Yeah, well, because Tarrant's an idiot. Apparently so. And, I, I, you know, I can understand him being sympathetic to her. I can understand him being supportive of her. Uh, you know, Tarrant's not the jerk, uh, necessarily, that Avon would be to her. And we see that. But he does seem to take way too much of a shine to her too quickly, and he gets he gets stupid with Sulin. Oh well, you're jealous. I mean, and Sulin rightly calls him out on it. So, yeah. Oh, two women don't like each other. It's obviously jealousy. And yet, it did kind of seem like it was. I didn't get that. I, I'm serious. I did not get the the jealousy thing. I mean, uh, no. I, I, well, I mean. Okay, Taryn was projecting. I mean, maybe, I kind of got the feeling that Taryn was projecting the idea that there was some kind of jealousy, but I never really got the sense that there was any. I mean, I don't think Sulin really cared. Okay. I think Sulin looked at Piri and thought, "Oh, you are a twit." Okay, I, I, I'm all right. I'll, I'll clarify that. I don't think that Sulin was jealous that that Taryn that she was giving attention to Tarrant. I don't, not in that way. Not, not that kind of jealousy is like, oh, I wanted Tarrant for myself. Nothing, nothing like that. I think that it was a, all right, jealousy is not, is not the word, but it is a stereotype woman thing that I don't like the way this woman conducts her affairs is the wrong word. But in other words, Sulin was annoyed not just because the woman was an annoying woman. She was annoyed at her because of the way she was plying her affections on Tarrant. It was not jealousy, but hmm. it was catty. Hmm. I felt. And I didn't and get Avon that. and Tarrant were also behaving in very much the same in that sort of macho guy way in front of the women, except that Avon was showing no evidence of in his words or actions even, that he was interested in her. And yet it was obviously rankling him somehow. So it was a, it was a weird dynamic going on hmm. and couldn't quite, couldn't quite place my finger on it, but it didn't feel like it was just because, Oh my God, shut up. Stop it. <laughs> you know, it just, it, it felt like she was, there were lots of reasons why you might hate Piri. I, I thought she was pretty freaking obnoxious even when she dropped her persona and she was now Actually, the she was more obnoxious. I know. And then she had time to do her makeup and put her hair up. Oh, yeah. And be all, all like, Ooh, no, I'm the killer. What was that about? I don't, she was just irritating when she was, you know, the, 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 the damsel in distress. But when she became the killer, then I thought, oh, she was so unbelievably over the top, but then this episode yeah. is filled with over the top, lots of over the top going on here. But she takes it. I mean, she's then, really running with it. And then Sulin doesn't kill her, unless, unless we want to argue that Sulin knocked the bug off intentionally at cancer. 
but I didn't think that was what what happened. Mm. It didn't. It didn't look like a controlled. Hey, knock that off. No, it no. It's just like, like I'm just, just getting it off. Just, even. Exactly. And it, happened and it just happened to, to land on on cancer. Yeah. Uh, the two of them burst into that room, guns a blazing, and neither one of them shot her. <sighs> because it wouldn't have been as dramatic. I mean, he's you know again. Beecham is probably thinking of how you know what would be the greatest way for her to die. Oh, I know. Uh, at the placed by her yeah. own petard. Well, exactly. I mean. You know, killed by by her own uh, by by her own instrument of death, which we kind of we never actually see her kill anyone by that method. No, but it's kind of assumed that that's how it's that's how she does it. Right, but I mean, the only one she well, she did kill. I guess she killed the actor. Yeah. Um, although he didn't look like he died in horrible agony, which we know that the thing killed people in horrible agony so therefore she didn't kill him by well but she said she did but his she body did say was that. very stoic yeah like, i'm just standing here looking yeah so that didn't and nebrox we never really saw how he got killed so no uh, it, uh weird plot device weird of plot course device. <sighs> yeah i <I'm, sighs> Like I said, I I can't defend the episode. I just didn't it has a lot hate of problems. Nearly as much as no. I recall it being. I, I didn't recall know. it being cringeworthy. Yeah, uh, the only thing that was cringeworthy in it was really Peary. Yes, she's she's way just too much. Ott, yeah, she is just completely and absolutely. Uh, when she's the hysterical girl, she's OTT. When she's the super killer, she's stupid and OTT. It's it's. Okay. Oh, and her death scene was so OTT. Mm. <laughs> that that was quite the that was quite the agonizing scream. But then she had a heck of a screamer on her uh, throughout the episode. What is that horrible noise in the background? Oh, don't worry about it. It's just a girl screaming and saying, yeah. Yeah. All right. Let's see. I don't know that I even have anything. Well, the only thing. Oh, one thing that is amusing. The auction. As I was watching this, uh, a sultan, an Egyptian, and a high priest were sitting at an auction. And this is a line for a bad joke. And Omega. Oh yeah, Omega. Oh yeah, Omega's oh there too. Thought his, this. This his is body such panels, a bad joke. Yeah. This is screaming. I mean, you know, like a sultan, Egyptian, and high priest walk into a, you know walk into an, an auction. You know, and I thought with a radio. Oh. Um, it was kind of. It was a nice way around not having to have uh, uh, a lot of people at the auction. I wonder if the script was written that way. You know, there's an Who auction. Knows? There's hundreds of buyers, and. The director reads it and goes, yeah, so... We can't afford it. Five. <laughs> it's like, uh, okay, uh, let me just make a quick change here. I kind of kind of think that might... I, I don't want to put that one on the writer off the top of his head. I think he was working with a... Either whether he did it in the first place, knowing he had a constriction, or uh, or they had him change it to it later on. But uh, I, I won't give him that. I, I think it is amusing that we continue to get the... Do you remember in, what was it, Bounty? Yeah, it was Bounty, I think, where um, uh, uh, Jenna was reunited with her old Arab Arab. friends. Yes, yes, I do. And Gambit. And, I mean, the, the 
we need space aliens, let's go down to the BBC wardrobe department and pull some of our costume dramas from exotic places and throw them on people is in full evidence here. Um, Except for the Omega costume. Actually, I was going to say, I'm surprised we didn't see Centauri from the Pertwee years. There are no, apart from Alpha Centauri, there are no real aliens. No. In Blake 7 universe. It's all people. And I think that's intentional. I think they intentionally tried to steer away from anything at well, well and Sil. Well, they but, do uh, They they do sort of make reference to aliens when there's the big invasion against uh, the Federation, but we never see them. Right. We saw the dead bodies there at the end where they were kind of uh, the, the ones at the base that were the takeover aliens. But we never really saw what they looked like. But except that they dissolve. Yeah. When they're killed. So, but but that could be, that's fine. I mean, life that evolved in another galaxy is bound to be different from ours. There yeah. was a line, we mentioned it earlier in the episode, it was, uh, not in this episode, in this season, and it was Sulin's line, where one of them said, it's common knowledge, or something like that, that all intelligent life came from Earth. Yeah. Something like that. And Sulin made some comment that says, well, you know, we don't, how she phrased it, but she she mocked the fact that that was a, a standard belief that that was the case, and I don't think she was mocking it because humans aren't intelligent life. She was mocking it because that is an unproven assertion. It's a rather arrogant assertion, too. I think. Well, and yeah, but but it, unproven, yes. You know, but I think it was I think it was part of the premise of Blake Seven was that we're not going to do stories about. Crazy aliens. It's all going to be about people. It's going to be about the Federation and and people being bad to each other. Uh, it's sort of dystopian uh, world. And so, yeah, no, I would not have. I would not have expected Alpha Centauri's costume to pop up there. It's it's definitely always going to be people. I think. Darn, I would I would love to see a draconian show up. Yeah, something, but it, it's just Ogron. a different. It's just a different universe. Yeah, and I respect them for that, for having that vision. No, I, and, I actually don't have a problem with that. Um, it's it's nice, you know, in terms of what the intent is. It just gets a little weird when uh, they go down to wardrobe and pull out something that just kind of takes you out of the the episode watching experience. Did you notice they kind of move their headdresses around? <laughs> so, like, so like the the Egyptian would be not wearing the well, like this kind of like the turban like things, and there was they they weren't kind of matched up. It was as if they went and got four costumes, and then said, "Okay, you wear this suit and this hat," and they just did a mix and match. Yeah, <laughs> kind of, except for the guy who was like I say, it was the 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 one that was wearing the just the body armor that Omega wore, uh, the kind of. Uh, from the uh, from the three doctors uh-huh. version, and um, yeah, yeah, it was. And you know what I like? I really like Sleer. I like the name Sleer better than I do Servalan. Well, Servalan has a certain elegance to it. Sleer just tells you something. It, it it really betrays the sliminess. It's so much easier to type, though. Well, that's when true, you're taking too. notes. <laughs> I know. I had to make that during my course of the uh, notes for the episodes. Like, am I going to call her Servalan or am I going to call her Slayer? I wrote I Servalan. She's officially, she's officially Slayer now, even though we know she's Servalan. Well, she's so, called Servalan by Dana and, and well, Avon. Yes. Oh, yeah. 
let's not forget that. Once again, Dana has the drop on her, doesn't shoot her. This is Dana, the the one who was ready to shoot and kill all of the guys trying to break into her dad's base uh-huh. way back in Aftermath. And Avon's like, no, no, no. We'll just, you know, <clears throat> you don't have to kill him. But she's like the brutal warrior killer with the bombs and everything. And yet every time she gets Servalon in her sights, she... She screws it up. She screws up. Yeah. Dana, I'm not convinced you're ever going to shoot Servalon. I'm not convinced she wants to shoot Servalon. Hmm. Could be that, too. Then what would she have left to live for? Exactly. Exactly. Nothing else? I got nothing, nothing. else. I don't either. This is... I mean, all, I ha- all I have is... I thought the story was rather unimaginative in many ways, and then in other ways it was, like, overly imaginative in all the wrong ways. Um, <laughs> acting was all over the board with some of the big- biggest overacting given by Carolyn Holdaway, who was Peary, and even Paul Darrow himself. And this oh, he's episode, got a new outfit. Yeah. This this episode was basically just another clinker, but a really dull one at that. I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go into it because I'm not this is not a, a episode a, a clothing podcast, but I think we mentioned it uh in one of the last couple that Avon has been wearing that hugely bulked up costume. Yeah. Lately that makes him well, frankly it makes him look fat. Uh, you know, it makes him look stocky, maybe not like middle-aged spread fat, but it it just doesn't make him look right. Mm-hmm. And so now they switched him over to a costume that's a lot more like his old ones. I mean, yeah, it's the black and white theme, but it looked a lot better in it, frankly. It's still a goofy outfit, but yeah. it's a lot better than that big padded and the studded gloves and the <clears throat> and the stuff. He, I don't think he was even wearing gloves in this, was he? Uh, you know, I don't remember, but I'm not about to watch it to find out. Oh, come on. You uh, do it. All right. Well, then next time when we are doing an episode of Blake 7, we will be watching the episode Games by Bill Lyons. Another name. I know that name. I don't uh, I don't know that, that one's think. done any more episodes name sounds familiar well there is only one bill lyons on the list of blake seven episodes so maybe you know him from somewhere else maybe so another first time writer oh wow this could be fun Uh, or not (laughs) well ben thank you for joining me oh pleasure and listeners i do hope you'll join us all again next time on fusion patrol cheers fusion patrol is a lone locust production like us? Please consider becoming our sponsor at patreon.com slash fusion patrol. We'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes. Stop by and visit us at our website, fusionpatrol.com. Search for us on Facebook under Fusion Patrol. Check out our Twitter handle at Fusion Patrol. Or just send us an email at feedback at fusionpatrol.com. Please come join the conversation. Our music is Fight the Future by Amberwolf.